Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. CAI members, including management companies and community associations that are employers, are subject to numerous state and federal laws that govern the workplace. Compliance with these employment laws is critical to avoiding litigation. My guest today is Philip Volok, owner of the national law firm Kaufman, Dolowich, and Volok. For the last 40 years, Philip has represented employers, including community associations, who have been faced with claims of discrimination or wrongful termination by former employees, rejected applicants, and other parties. For more information on the firm, please visit their website at www.kdvlaw.com. Welcome, Philip. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. So let's start with the obvious first question. What are some of the laws that govern the workplace that CAI members need to understand? Uh, Tony, there are five federal laws that I would like to talk about and believe are most relevant to CAI members. Uh, They are Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, commonly known as Title VII. There's the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, the Age Discrimination in Employment Act, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, and finally the Fair Labor Standards Act, commonly known as the FLSA. Let's talk more about the first law that you mentioned, the Civil Rights Act. Can you tell us more about how this can impact CAI members? Sure. This is the grandparent, if you will, of all of these laws uh, and their progeny. In particular, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination against applicants and employees because of their race, religion, color, gender or sex, and national origin. You didn't mention age in relation to the Civil Rights Act, but you did mention an age discrimination law. Yes. uh, Many people are confused and do not realize there is a separate law called the Age Discrimination in Employment Act. This is a law that was enacted in 1967 to promote the employment of older workers And this is important, then and still defined as anyone 40 years of age or older, based on ability rather than age. So the threshold for age discrimination is 40 years old. Tell us about the Americans with Disabilities Act. What do employers need to know with regards to ADA compliance? The first thing employers should know is that the ADA is not an affirmative action law. It does not mandate that if two candidates are equal, one is disabled, that you must choose the disabled. Quite to the contrary. The ADA prohibits discrimination only against qualified individuals with disabilities. Qualified generally means able to perform the essential functions of the job with or without a reasonable accommodation. It still comes down to who performs the job best. 
And so am I correct in my understanding that there's another law that uh, protects pregnant employees? Yes. Uh, in, in, in recent years, the Pregnancy Discrimination and Employment Act, or the PDA, has uh, come to the forefront of many employment law disputes. The PDA amended Title VII uh, way back in 1978 to prohibit sex discrimination on the basis of pregnancy. The term pregnancy includes pregnancy, childbirth, or medical conditions related to pregnancy or childbirth, including recovery from childbirth. Several years ago, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission published a vast treatise on the Pregnancy Discrimination Employment Act and laid out some very strict standards with which employers must comply regarding pregnant individuals. We've all heard uh, of the so-called wage and hour law. Can you explain what this is for our listeners? Absolutely. This might be the most troublesome law uh, of all given the uh, far ranging coverage of the Fair Labor Standards Act or the FLSA. This law governs a number of areas in the workplace, uh, including most particularly the payment of overtime. Now, most employers are familiar with the terms exempt and non-exempt. And what these terms mean is that an employee is either exempt or non-exempt from the payment of overtime depending upon their job duties. This act is also used to determine who is an employee and who is an independent contractor for the purposes of overtime. Let's ask about, uh, let me ask you about enforcement. Um, what agency or agencies perhaps are responsible for enforcing all of these various laws? These are not our parents' agencies. These are aggressive agencies that work together hand-in-hand hand to develop shared understandings of their missions and compliance directives. And I'm referring to uh, the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, commonly known as the EEOC, which enforces Title VII, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, the ADA, and the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. The Department of Labor enforces the Fair Labor Standards Act and um, quite frequently works hand-in-hand hand with other agencies. And in fact, these agencies have executed memoranda of understanding pledging their commitment and cooperation with eradicating unlawful practices from the workplace. So what kind of remedies can these agencies impose if a violation is found and proven to be true? They are remedies that can literally destroy a business. EEO proceeding, EEOC proceedings are not often resolved until they reach federal court. And the remedies can include monetary damages in the form of back pay, front pay, emotional distress, and the uh, plaintiff's attorney's fees. 
There are also equitable remedies that can be imposed, such as ordering an employer to hire or rehire and or promote the plaintiff employee. The Department of Labor has the ability to go back three years to examine an employee employer's payroll and also has the ability to exact liquidated damages if it determines that the violations were willful. So we've been talking about uh, enforcement and remedies, etc. Where does the burden of proof fall? Who, who, who has to prove the, uh, that there was a violation? What types of evidence typically are um, admissible, I guess, in these sorts of situations? The burden of proof is a shifting burden of proof that was established uh, decades ago by one particular seminal uh, United States Supreme Court case entitled McDonnell versus Douglas. While the burden of proof shifts, it always remains with the complainant. The first threshold the complainant must pass is what's called a prima facie case which is generally rather easy to establish. Establishing that you're in a protected class, that some adverse employment action was taken against you because you're in that uh, protected class, and that uh, you were either replaced by someone outside the protected class, uh, what have you. Once that prima facie case is established, The employer then has the opportunity to rebut it with a legitimate, non-pretextual business reason. For instance, a company-wide layoff, a company-wide structuring, an action having nothing to do with employees' protected classes. The shift does not end there. It goes back to the employee who gets another bite at the apple, so to speak, to prove that the legitimate business reason advanced by the employer is simply pretextual, that it is a disguise or masks the real reason that the adverse action was taken. Pretext often requires a plaintiff to dig deep, go beneath the allegation uh, of misconduct, and point to actions that evidence inferences of discrimination on the part of the employer. But at all times, the burden of proof remains with the plaintiff or complainant. You mentioned protected classes, and I think most people are, pr- are pretty familiar with what they are, but can you list them for us just as a point of information? Sure. Uh, I did list them when we uh, chatted about the Title VII Act since they contain the primary um, pool of protected classes, and they are race, religion, color. Yes, color is a separate cause of action from race, skin color, gender, national origin, age, disability, 
pregnancy are the common protected classes under federal law as well as under state law. There is an obscure protected class called genetic information that the uh, government instituted some years ago prohibiting employers from discriminating against employers with certain genetic makeups. Uh, tendency to have back injuries, tendency to uh, have uh, cardiovascular hypertension problems, things that are in their genetics. Um, other than that, those are the basic realm of protected classes. I should mention that when you go outside federal law to state law, those protected classes can expand exponentially. So let's turn to state laws for a second. Are there specific state laws that apply to these situations as well? Indeed, there are, uh, and they largely uh, mirror uh, their federal counterparts. In Pennsylvania, there's the Pennsylvania Human Relations Act, and for CAI members, uh, they're, uh, they may be under within the jurisdiction of the Philadelphia Human Relations Act. There is the Pennsylvania Wage Payment and Collection Law. Uh, you go across the bridge, so to speak, into New Jersey, and you literally enter the wild, wild west of employment law. The New Jersey Law Against Discrimination has been cited as the broadest law against discrimination in the country, and it's been that way for a long time, expanding protections to all types of uh, genetic uh, deformities, uh, genetic issues, uh, what have you. Like most states, unlike Pennsylvania, New Jersey protects sexual orientation. There was also a private whistleblower action in New Jersey called the Conscientious Employees Protection Act, or CEPRA. SEPA, that allows private employees to sue their employers if they have a reasonable belief that the employer is doing something unlawful. There is no uh, companion law in Philadelphia like that or Pennsylvania except as it applies to employees that work in the public sector. But otherwise, New Jersey is as tough, if not tougher, than some of the federal laws. In Delaware, they have a rather uh, watered-down statute that mirrors Title VII of the Civil Rights Act and uh, the ADA, and they enforce the same type of protections for the same types of uh, protected classes, if you will, and have their own investigative agencies. Let me ask you about uh, applicability. Are these federal and state laws, are they universally applicable to employers or are there, are there any uh, exemptions, for example, um, organizations with five or fewer employees, something like that? Yes. Let, let's start on the federal level. Most of the federal laws require 15 employees uh, to invoke jurisdiction. Title VII is 15. Americans with Disability Act is 15. Pregnancy is 15. 
The Fair Labor Standards Act is no employees. Applies to all employers across the board. When you're talking about five or less employees, if you're not covered by one of the federal laws, you will be ensnared or covered by one of the state laws, which generally require just four employees. Otherwise, there are no meaningful jurisdictional cutoffs. Philip, this all sounds like pretty serious stuff, and should be. We obviously, as a, as a society, should avoid discrimination, etc. Um, so there's reasons why these laws exist. But what can community associations do to ensure compliance? What CAI companies can do is train their managers, supervisors, and department heads uh, in preventive techniques that start with an overview of what laws are out there, such as the ones we just spoke about, what landmines are in the workplace, how they, the supervisor, can bind the employer, and um, have that done at least annually. For better or for worse, I refer to it as EEO training. It's one of the very first questions an EEOC investigator will ask in his or her investigation, when was the last time your employees were trained? That's one way. Another way is to have an employee handbook. And in Pennsylvania, they are simply not binding, but they give an employer the opportunity to set forth its expectations of its employees and allows employees to uh, know what conduct is unacceptable, what the uh, mindset of the organization is, how to complain, uh, which is very, very important and uh, ensure that there was documentation that the employee has actually received and read the employee handbook. And the final uh, and perhaps most important way uh, to avoid this is to have a relationship with experienced employment counsel. There is no better buck stops here person than being able to pick up the phone and consult an employment attorney, run a scenario by him or her, and just get their imprimatur, if you will, that what you're doing is okay. It goes a long way towards minimizing liability under these laws. Well, this is serious stuff we've been talking about, Philip, and I'm glad we had some time today to review these issues and these laws that govern the workplace and how they can impact community associations, management companies, and other employers. If you'd like more information on services provided by Kaufman, Dolowich, and Volok, please visit them online at www.kdvlaw.com. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thank you for listening.